Welcome in to the Chief Zone Podcast. I'm Farzi Vasugan, your host of the Chief Zone Podcast. Appreciate you guys downloading and listening to another episode of the podcast. A lot of things to get into here on this episode. Uh, Going to be talking about a former Chiefs player who has been in the news lately. A very big story in the Washington Post regarding one former Chiefs player and a very scary issue surrounding the sport of football for former NFL players including one who played for Andy Reid at one point in Philadelphia. They're in the news for very wrong reasons. Plus, of course, we will break down the game between the Chiefs and the Chargers. Not on Sunday, it's on Saturday night. A big Saturday night game for the Kansas City Chiefs. want to give you guys a reminder, you guys can interact with me on social media. This is, of course, an interactive podcast. Love interacting with you guys. I want to give you guys a chance to be part of the discussion. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about this week. A lot more optimism. This week, coming off a win, a big win over the Oakland Raiders. So the optimism is back in for now, which is always good. I mean, you know, rather stay ahead in the division rather than fall behind to the Chargers and the Raiders. So uh, fans are feeling pretty good. Uh, fans are kind of back on the Alex Smith bandwagon, a little happier with the defense down, how Bob Sutton's handled it lately. Uh, so fans are fans are a little happy for right now, which is good. But again, if you guys want to be part of the discussion, always encourage it with you guys. Facebook.com slash Vasugian. Like and follow me on Facebook. A reminder, we will do a Facebook Live during halftime and after the Chargers game on Saturday. So join me for that. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Email me as well, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. Of course, the recap podcast for the Chiefs and Chargers, that'll be up Sunday morning. So be on the lookout for that as that'll be out later this week. Subscribe to the podcast if you like the podcast, if you like the, the show. Share it on social media. Post the link, share it with your friends, let them know about the Chiefs Zone Podcast. One thing I do want to address here, because this is something that a lot of people have been asking me on social media, and I didn't realize this was a topic that people weren't aware about so much, but a lot of people have asked me, why are the Chiefs playing on a Saturday versus the traditional Sunday? Well, the NFL, what they do towards the end of the year, and usually they do it in December, they'll have a couple of Saturday night games uh, late in the season. Which I think is good to, to spread games out a little bit, have more NFL action throughout the week. And a big a big reason for that is because college football no longer takes place, or at least the regular season that is. So it's a little easier. There's not going to be a, a, any sort of interference with other big sporting events. So it's easier for the NFL to do this in December. And keep in mind, the Chiefs have already been given five primetime games and at this rate, this is one of those games where now it's a bigger one and one that a lot of NFL fans should be keeping an eye on because, of course, it has big implications for the AFC West. Uh, but the Chiefs, uh, this was this is their sixth and final primetime game unless they get flexed to another game, which I doubt that happens. But as of now, it, well, well, let me just say this. Before the season, Roger Goodell was asked, why do the Chiefs have more primetime games than anyone else? And he mentioned that the ratings in Kansas City have always been good for, for, for NFL events. And the Chiefs had some entertaining games in primetime last year. A lot of games that they've had in recent history on primetime that have come down to the wire. And they've always put on a good show uh, with some of their playmakers that they have on the field. And that's a big reason why they gave the Chiefs six primetime games. So this is going to be their sixth one. Uh, but as far as the Saturday thing, you know, I've always liked. Uh, I'm not a big college football fan, and I'll just be honest. On Saturdays, I'm always out and about doing things, so I don't get a chance to watch college football a whole lot. Uh, Sundays are the days where I usually stay in and watch the NFL. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty much glued on my TV, or I'll do the podcast on Sundays. But it, the the deal is with with the NFL is they they can't take up an entire week and just expect high ratings each time. Thursday night football, yes, that's pretty good. Not a whole lot's happening Thursdays. Uh Fridays, you know, do you want to interfere with high school football? I mean, do you want to take that away? Uh because let's be honest, if you you know, you're a high school student or if you if you have a kid that attends the same high school as you did, if, if you have that connection, but if your favorite NFL team who's playing very well if they're playing on a Friday, you know, what's the, what's the conflict there? And I don't think the NFL wants to necessarily do that. I don't think they care a whole lot. Maybe that's another thing. Who knows? But college football, I mean, you just don't want to interfere with that because of how much uh, how many college football games there are on Saturdays. And, yeah, how, how could that impact uh, one NFL game, if you put it, on Saturday night? So they wait for December 
to be able to do that. Just wanted to address that because that is a question I've been getting a lot on Facebook and Twitter. And figured I, I should also address it here on the podcast since that is something a lot of people have been asking about. We will get to the Chiefs and Chargers preview in just a moment. I, I had no other topics that I wanted to discuss. I was actually going to get into the breakdown now, but there's a really big story that, uh, you know, we don't discuss this topic a whole lot, and quite honestly, I should here on the podcast. And the difficult thing about this, and this is regarding head injuries with the NFL, um, there's research out there, and there are certain facts about concussion, CTE, and whatnot, but then as far as what leads to that and what what can be stopped, what would be the solutions to all of this, that all becomes opinionated, and there's really no correct answer, as at least for right now, as to how that can be prevented for players who want to play football for a living for 5, 10, 15 years, however long they play football. And you may be wondering, if you haven't heard yet, and I shared this on the Facebook page, former Chiefs running back Larry Johnson, and look, I don't care what your stance is with Larry Johnson and, and how things ended with him in Kansas City and his NFL career, um, this is a very serious issue, and I give a lot of credit to Larry Johnson for opening up and doing the story because this is not an easy thing for anybody to talk about publicly, uh, especially the way LJ did, going very, way in depth in this interview. Uh, he did an interview with Kent Babb of the Washington Post, and yes, uh, that's a very familiar name, Kent Babb. He was the former Chiefs beat writer for a couple of years, uh, last decade, I believe, so about 10 years ago. Uh, eight to ten years ago, uh, he was a chief speed writer for the Kansas City Star. Now he's a sports enterprise writer for the Washington Post. He's been doing that for quite some time now, and he's been there for a while. Bab wrote uh, an article going into extensive detail about Larry Johnson. Now LJ believes he's living with chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or known as CTE. And I remember seeing this article on CNN over the summer about, uh, it was written by Daniela Emanuel, how CDE was found in 99% of deceased players' uh, brains that have been donated to scientific research. And the source from that came from the JAMA Network. Never heard of that before, but for what it's worth, they had that information. And as, and as a lot of people know, CTE, uh, it's... It's best described as a degenerate brain disease caused by repeated head trauma. And as far as notable instances, well, well the, the most notable and fairly recent one that, that occurred this past April with Aaron Hernandez, former Patriots tight end who killed himself, hung himself while in prison uh, due to serving a life sentence for the murder of Odin Lloyd back in 2013. And here's one thing that not a lot of people know about CTE is is that it can only be confirmed after a player's death. However, Larry Johnson says he has many of the symptoms, such as anxiety, paranoia, headaches, and short-term memory issues. And speaking of the short-term memory issues, or just memory issues in general, he tells Kent Babb he can't remember two of the seven NFL seasons he played in the league. He says he does not remember some of the memorable moments or memorable plays that he had during his playing career either. So he made, what he's trying to do to work around this, Larry Johnson has made a compilation of his football highlights to help remind himself of the special moments he was involved in or and also share with his seven-year-old daughter, Jaden, who was mentioned quite a lot. She's a very important piece of this article. Now, some very concerning things in this article, he was quoted saying that he's afraid he won't... Uh, remember his own name when he reaches 50 years old and so he's making these highlight videos as i mentioned to and also music videos of himself on youtube to help remind himself of these things when he watches them he was he also uh was quoted saying i could be aaron hernandez uh when the, when they were talking about what aaron hernandez did when he was in prison this past april which is a very scary thing for for anyone to say especially a former player who's you know, he had some sort of head injuries, whether they were talked about a lot or not. I know nowadays injuries are discussed more than ever. You have to have all these injury reports available for uh, for the PR and, and to make them available to the press and the media. Uh, another interesting thing, his SUV, Larry Johnson's SUV, has a broken side mirror. 
And he says he has he has no idea how that got smashed, which again that's also very concerning. I mean, it's your it's your own vehicle. You've got to know how that happened. Um, th- things get kind of um, and I don't know what the right word uh, is. It, it just gets you. It, it kind of makes you cringe. Uh, it talks about how he gets easily frustrated. At times, and one big example was when he was doing homework with his daughter and was trying to help her find the correct answer to a math question, and she struggled with some of the certain math questions trying to find the right answer, so he get frustrated at times, almost to the point where he would get up and, and just walk out the out of the room for a moment, uh, as Bab de- wrote in detail in this article. Um, but it, he's made improvements, and as you guys know, and this was also discussed in the article, uh, some of the issues that Larry Johnson had getting in trouble off the field, and how he went from getting into trouble, having all this glory for all the hard work he had on the field from 2005 and in 2006, only to struggle on the field, but also struggle again off the field. Uh, they went into detail about that as well. And you guys all remember the incidents, uh, the the spitting on a woman incident, uh, threatening to kill another woman. It, it just a lot of things that he was involved in. And listen, he's apologized for that. He, he's he's done a couple of interviews on TMZ and on Six Sense Sports where he has talked about these issues in, in detail a little bit. And has talked about you know he, he kind of talked about Tyree Kill uh, in an interview with TMZ Sports before the season and said, "Hey, look, don't screw up your second chance the way I did," which which I think is you know. It takes a big man to admit that he makes a mistake like that, and uh, for him to send that message out to Tyree Kill, uh, that's a big deal. And it's certainly important to to note that. And uh, hopefully, other play uh, he he wants other players, uh, troubled players, to learn from him, Larry Johnson. That is, uh, and understand that. Look, if you if you don't make the most of your second chance, kiss your career goodbye, and there could be be even more issues beyond that. And the reason I bring this up is towards the end of the article, they talk about how he's made improvements, Larry Johnson that is, such as moving out of his high-end home that he had in Miami for something a little less, but still fairly nice in Fort Lauderdale, got rid of his guns, talks about uh, how his daughter is a great distraction and she's a huge motivation for him to do well and really make up for the past mistakes that he's made. They talk to his father, people very close to him in this article, a really interesting article, it's a very long one. But if you have the time, it's on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzibazugian. Definitely check it out because I think this really helps, especially if it's a player that you watched for a couple of years here in Kansas City. It really helps put things into perspective and kind of makes you wonder, yeah, sure, these players know what they're signing up for, but do they not think about the aftermath of their playing careers? Like what could come or, or, or what, what side effects could occur down the road? Um, here, here's my thing, and I know, uh, you know, the more that this story becomes viral, I'm sure it'll be talked about on talk radio this week in Kansas City, I'm sure a p- p- couple people will want to know my thoughts on this, and really, I don't know what else to say, um, I, I feel like Larry Johnson is making kind of the right adjustments, he's talking about, you know, moving out of his high-end homes, got rid of his weapons, because uh, that was not doing him any good, he's making videos, uh, on iMovie, uh, a video editing software, which is a fairly easy and fun one to use, uh, unlike Final Cut Pro and Express. But uh, he he's made improvements to try to remind himself of who he is and what he's done over the years and also use that as a time capsule for his daughter, as he mentioned. So there are some concerning things with all of this. And listen, I'm no doctor. I, I've, never, I've never played football other than middle school, which doesn't even count essentially. Uh, this is, um, this is quite alarming. Uh, I mean, here's a guy who thinks he has CTE and he's pretty sure of it. And this is something that cannot be confirmed, uh, with anyone until the player is deceased. So, and and hopefully that's not anytime soon for Larry Johnson. Uh, but gosh, I mean, if he's talking about these things, uh, then certainly some research needs to occur. Uh, and look into some of these things, and, and hopefully he can make himself available to answer some of these questions because we're hearing more and more about head injuries, concussions, CTE, and just how much that's really hurting these players and what they do afterwards. Um, 
some, some players have done some horrific things after their playing career, some even during. Um, yet there's in some of these cases, such as Jovan Belcher, uh, there's no correlation with his actions and head injuries and, and never dealt with any major head injuries in the past. So uh, there's a lot of research that's been done, that's being done, and that needs to be done. Uh, and I think with Larry Johnson's case, I think this can open up a new case and uh, launch a new investigation as to whether or not maybe CTE can be discovered sooner, maybe before death uh, with these players, and figure out what what are the symptoms that can for sure verify that someone has CTE and what can be done to prevent that in the future. Very easier said than done. Let me just say that easier said than done. But uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about this topic, but I think it's definitely one that has to be worth mentioning, especially with a former player, a former pro bowler in Larry Johnson, who, and again, I know his playing days were, his great playing days were very limited, uh, but still a, a prominent two years he had in Kansas City. And probably one of the more prominent two years you'd see in any running back in NFL history. I'll add this. Uh, they talked about the 416 carries that he broke uh, the record for most carries in a single season. And I think one doctor had done research saying because the way the sports evolved, the way that we just see so many hard hits, it is nearly impossible that the record will ever be broken again. For And that's not the greatest record to to have. I remember at the time... Larry Johnson said he wanted it just to say he had a record, but looking back, is that a record really worth having 416 touches but just on the ground too? Um, so who knows? I mean, these these things are certainly, I'm sure the, the moments were great at the time, but looking back, you know, what questions do you have? What regrets do you have about certain things in your playing career? So hopefully, uh, you know, more research can be done with a story like this and they can figure out. Some sort of a solution, or at least uh, get closer to a solution for head injuries with former football players and even current football players. As always, I welcome your guys' thoughts on this topic. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Like and follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. If you guys want to respond to anything I've said, do feel free to do so. And don't forget my email as well, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. All right, let's break down the game between the Chiefs and the Chargers. Keep in mind, it's going to be on Saturday night, not on Sunday. So Chiefs football coming, well, roughly, what, uh, 16 hours sooner? Hey, uh, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, so, I know people aren't fans of these short weeks with Thursday night football, but anytime I can get my NFL team, especially when they're doing well twice in five days or in six days, I'll always take it. Uh, never going to complain about that, especially on a Saturday night. I, 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 always, uh, I enjoy good Chiefs football. On a Saturday night. And they're going to be facing a very red hot. LA Chargers team. And the Chargers have won. Seven of their last nine games. Currently ride a four game winning streak. Averaging nearly 33 points per game. During this winning streak. Some of it came from that Nate Peterman. Craziness. Where where the Bills put him in there. But hey look. Nonetheless. uh, You can only play who you play. And the Bills chose to go with Peterman in that one. And like any team, the Chargers did what they would take advantage of. And that is a bad rookie quarterback who just had a very bad football game. And their offense has been tremendous this year. Fifth in total offense. Third in the passing game. Uh, Really just a dynamic passing attack. Uh, Something they lacked for a couple of years, especially when they have a tremendous quarterback like Phillip Rivers under center. But this year, that passing attack has gotten back on track. And a big reason for that is Phillip Rivers... A couple of reasons. He's fourth in passing yards with more than 3,600 yards. And he has only seven interceptions this year. He had 21 picks last year. The year before, he had 13. Might match that total this season. Who knows? We'll see. And then he had 18 the year before that in 2014. So he's playing far more better this year than he has recently. 23 touchdowns also this season for him. And it really helps when you have Keenan Allen available, who suffered a torn ACL in last year's Week one game uh, between the Chiefs and the Chargers, and he dominated that football game. And since his injury took place, the Chargers did not have a single third down conversion the rest of that game that allowed Kansas City to manufacture the biggest comeback in franchise history in overtime. But Keenan Allen this year been a big factor, and you could tell the Chargers missed him last year because this year he's fourth in receiving yards with more than 1,100 yards and sixth in catches with 83 snags on the season. This is kind of interesting. 
Pro Football Focus has tight end Hunter Henry barely ahead of Gronk and Kelsey as the highest rated tight end with an 88.5. Gronk is at an 88.1. Kelsey's at an 88. So all of them within 0.5 points, according to Pro Football Focus. Now, uh, yeah, and I've got to admit, you know, I, I don't get a chance to watch all of these games snap for snap. Uh, but I'll check out the highlights and I'll also read the stat sheet and read some of the articles to, to get familiar with these teams. But I just have a hard time grasping why Hunter Henry is the highest rated tight end on pro football focus ahead of Gronk and Kelsey when all he has is 42 catches for 551 yards and four touchdowns, zero 100 receiving yard games this season. So, uh, not quite sure. PFF usually does a great job with these ratings. Uh, but at the same time, I, I'm not a, I'm not so sure about this one, I, and I tried to look into why he's been rated that high and haven't been able to find a whole lot. Uh, but man, uh, for what it's worth, if you, if you like pro football focus like I do, he is the number one rated tight end in the league right now. Running back Melvin Gordon, 10th, or is in the top 10 in rushing yards, actually 8th in that category with 853 yards. The Chargers, by the way, they're 24th. As a team in rushing, so not the greatest. But when you look at Melvin Gordon, 853 yards, as I mentioned, 8 touchdowns on the season. He averages 3.7 yards per carry, which is the fewest among players in the top 10 in rushing right now. Oddly, second on that list, second fewest yard per carry average is the player that's leading the league in rushing, and that's Le'Veon Bell, who has a 3.9 yard per carry average. Looking at the offensive line for the Chargers, and I think this is where things could get very interesting. And I think, and I'll get to it later on, but I think both the Chiefs and the Chargers, they're going to have very similar keys in trying to win this football game. And it's just going to be a matter of who can do a better job uh, of those things. But looking at the offensive line for the Chargers, the left side, tackle Russell Okun, guard Dan Feeney, fairly average lineman. But the rest of the offensive line, center Spencer Pulley, guard Kenny Wiggins, and right tackle Joey Barksdale, all really bad offensive lineman and I think that's an opportunity for guys like Tom Bahali assuming he can play again and Justin Houston to really go off Tom Bahali's been able to get some pressure hasn't made a whole lot of plays on the stat sheet yet but Justin Houston uh, really came out uh, came alive had a big game this past week against the Oakland Raiders got to car a couple of times even sacked him once so you want to see the Chiefs be able to do that I thought the Chiefs front seven had their best game or at least Recently, a fairly good game in week two against the Eagles, but it's felt like forever since we've seen the front seven play like the front seven that they've been in recent history. Uh, you know, Reggie Raglan, he's had a fairly good season coming along for the Kansas City Chiefs. Derek Johnson, he has some flashes. He's not the same DJ he once was in his Pro Bowl form, but he'll make some plays here and there, which the Chiefs will always take from DJ. Going to the other side of the football, looking at the Chargers defense, a fairly good one, a 10th in total defense, third against the pass, which is an area where the Kansas City Chiefs have excelled at. They've got two players with more than 900 receiving yards and tight end Travis Kelsey and wide receiver Tyree Kills, which it's very likely that we'll see two 1,000-yard receivers for the Chiefs. And if I'm not mistaken, that has not happened since 2008 with Dwayne Bowe and Larry Johnson. Or excuse me, uh, Dwayne Bowe and Tony Gonzalez that here. They're talking a lot about a lot of Chiefs from the uh, late 2000s on this podcast. But yes, uh, that, I believe that was the last time the Chiefs had two 1,000-yard receiving players. And both ha- one a wide receiver, the other a tight end. And that's the same thing you sh- could, sh- should be getting uh, fairly soon with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. But the, the, rushing, the, the run-stopping defense, not very good. 24th. Uh, in that category, or excuse me, uh, it is actually fourth worst in the NFL. So, and by the way, looking at Kansas City, they're actually the third worst in that as well. So, two really bad run defenses coming into this game. But looking at the highlights for the Chargers, got a couple big ones. Of course, the big one, uh, the most obvious one, Joey Bosa, second year in the NFL, fifth in the league with 11.5 sacks. Outside linebacker Melvin Ingram has nine sacks on the season, but has only half a sack. In the last six games, in fact, that half sack came in the game last week against the Washington Redskins, the win over the Redskins. He did have three sacks against Kansas City. That's been his best game this year. So with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram coming into this game, you know that 
Mitchell Schwartz, he's going to be facing Ingram, and Eric Fisher will be facing Joey Bosa. Both of those uh, defenders, by the way, they are in the top 10 on Pro Football Focus's list for best edge defenders this year. And you, you know these two guys, Fisher and Schwartz, they're going to have their hands full. They've been kind of up and down this year. And this is going to be probably, once again, their toughest task of the season. The the other toughest one being the first time they went up against these guys. But, hey, uh, looking at Bosa, he's forced four fumbles on the season. One of the most in the NFL. Third most, in fact. Melvin Ingram has two fumble recoveries, including one for a touchdown. So you know that this pass rush is going to bring it to Alex Smith. And Alex Smith has generally, in, in the past, has done well escaping pressure. I remember last year he had the third highest rating from Pro Football Focus in making passes while under pressure. Uh, So that tells you uh, how good Alex Smith is and what he's capable of uh, when he is under pressure. So, and I know I've criticized this with Alex Smith lately, but if he can step up in the pocket, especially when those tackles are, or outside uh, defenders are getting around the tackles, I mean, that's a time where you've got to step up and put your tackles in position to be in a better spot to be able to push the defenders out and you could give yourself another second or two to make the right play. Look at the defensive backs for the Chargers. This is very interesting. Safety Trey Boston and cornerback Casey Hayward are two of seven players who are tied sixth place in the league with four interceptions on the season. And if you want to look at the turnovers for the Chargers, they're third with a Plus 11 turnover differential, barely ahead of the Chiefs, uh, who are fourth with eight on the season. The Chargers are tied sixth in the league in takeaways. They have 16 interceptions. That is tied for third most in the league. Kansas City is first with the fewest giveaways, which is nine. The Chargers have the third fewest giveaways, being 11. In between those two teams, it is New England with 10 giveaways on the season. A quick look at special teams. Uh, they've just had bad luck with the kicking situation this year. Young Ho Koo, just a very bad kicker early on. He was 3 of 6 on the season. Nick Novak was placed on IR. Uh, just I believe he was 9 of 13 this year. And Travis Coons was signed earlier this month. And so far he has 7 of 8, or, or late last month I should say. Uh, he's 7 of 8 on field goals so far. Uh, punter Drew Kaser has the third highest punt average in the league. So the Chiefs going to be facing another top 5 punter. For the second week in a row, returners, uh, quarterback Desmond King and punt returner is wide receiver Travis Benjamin. No major threats, just below average return specialist. So not a whole lot to expect from those guys in this game. All right, so when you look at the keys for, I I mentioned that I think both teams are going to have similar keys. Number one with their their quarterbacks, both who have done a great job of, of limiting turnovers this season, continue to limit those because that could be, it's a deciding factor in this football game. Pass rushers, boy, uh, you, you were talking about Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Tom Bahali, Chris Jones, who, who's been playing a little bit better lately. He's been kind of up and down this year, but uh, he played. He had a really great game against uh, a really good Raiders offensive line. But this is a game where both offensive linemen... Not really good offensive, a good group of offensive linemen. So there's an opportunity for both pass rushing duos, Holly and Houston. And again, I still include Holly because in the games that he has played against Oakland and in Dallas, not very many, but when he has played, he's been able to disrupt the pocket a little bit and force tackles to move backwards and get to the quarterback at times. And Justin Houston, he, he's been kind of quiet this year. Not the dominant Justin Houston we're used to seeing, but still in the top 10 in sacks this season. So you're you're expecting a big game from him, especially going up against uh, an offensive lineman. I mentioned the Chargers offensive line, not very good this season. Right tackle Joey Barksdale, he's going to be in for a very long game against Justin Houston uh, if he can't make the right adjustments to get ready for him. So there's an opportunity that we could see a lot of sacks combined from both teams in this football game. And at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who can force an ill-advised pass or two and which team can take advantage of those very few mistakes that both teams make. That's going to be the difference maker in this football game. And I've got to be honest, and I know the Chiefs are coming off a win. Uh, I, the Chargers being one of the uh, 
one of the more dominant teams lately in the NFL. Again, winning seven of their last nine. And I know they haven't played a lot of great teams, but you can again, you can only play who's on your schedule. The Chargers, this offense is not one that's, this is not the same offense the Chiefs faced in week three of the regular season. And I think it's going to be interesting if Kareem Hunt, what kind of a game is he going to have? Let me just say this about the Chiefs, because the Chiefs have been kind of a mysterious team the past two seasons. You just never know what kind of a Chiefs team is going to show up on game days. And I think that's both a curse and a blessing in disguise. I think it's a it's a blessing in disguise because, hey, look what what the what what do opposing defensive coordinators prepare for? What, what should they expect from Alex Smith and, and Kareem Hunt and this the rest of this offense? Because they'll have some very off days where they look horrible, and then they have some days where they look great, where they are Super Bowl contenders. So that is, and, and then I also call that a curse because, as fans, I mean that's just a frustrating thing to see. You just never know. Uh, what the team's going to bring, and, and you want to see that consistency, and that's something that, as great as the Chiefs have been on, on offense, they've also been bad at times, and that's where the inconsistency comes in with this football team. So the Chiefs have got to look for that. Try to be consistent, and Kareem Hunt, just no coincidence that when he does have a great game, the Chiefs do find themselves on the winning side of football games. So when you look at the Chargers, uh, I mean, they're they're one of the worst in stopping the run, but so are the Chiefs. So could the Chargers do what the Jets did a couple of weeks ago, what the Titans and Buccaneers did last week where they would run the clock and try to dominate time of possession? Because if that's the case, Kansas City's got to do what it did last week, similar to what those three teams did to the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago and twice last year. Take a, And I think both teams are going to take big advantage of this rushing attack. And I talked about... You know, the pass rush, the pass rushers and the limited mistakes both quarterbacks make. But I'll tell you what's going to be the biggest key and the biggest difference in this football game. It's going to come down to who has a better rushing attack. I think both quarterbacks are, they, they, they've been having fairly good seasons. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to who can have the better rushing attack. And not too confident going into this game. However, I think Kareem Hunt, there's no doubt that Kareem Hunt has been the better running back this season over Melvin Gordon. So I'm going to go with Kareem Hunt in this football game to have the better rushing game. And I think he'll have another 100-yard game. And I think the Chiefs are going to squeeze out a very narrow, low-scoring win. I can see the narrative, again, being negative. But I think the Chiefs, they're going to do whatever it takes to win this one and stay ahead in the AFC West. I'm giving the Chiefs a 13-10 to victory here. Not the most exciting score, but I think it's going to be one of those games where it's going to be more tactical and your defense has got to be on its toes and pass rushers have got to be there. Force as many sacks as you can. Force those ill-advised passes. And whichever rushing attack can be better, that will help decide and dictate the winner for this football game. And I think it's going to be Kareem Hunt at the end of the day. Going to be a very nerve-wracking game to watch, but I think it's going to go in Kansas City's favor by a score of 13-10 to 10 in this game. Let me know your guys' thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine21, and my email, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Couple of big games this past weekend, both on primetime. I'll talk about these two games the most, the Steelers and Ravens game. I'm going to say that's got to be the biggest game of the year so far this season. I, I think the Chiefs and Raiders Thursday night football game, that could also be a candidate for game of the year. I know Chiefs fans may not like to hear that, but from a, from an objective point of view, uh, NFL fans just love these kinds of games that come down to the wire, especially in a crazy manner. So I think that could be a candidate for game of the year. But, man, the Steelers just once again winning with a field goal and coming down all the way to the wire and the Ravens unable to hold this lead made a comeback. After the Steelers blow a 14-0 lead, but the Ravens unable to take advantage of that nice comeback that they put together, and the Steelers came back with the win. I think this is going to be the NFL game of the year for 2017. I'll tell you what's not the game of the year for the Patriots falling to the Miami Dolphins. And the Dolphins and Chiefs going to be playing each other very soon, and they're going to have one commonality, and that is the fact that both teams have taken down the Patriots this year wasn't a great game. I mean, the score was close in this one, but 
Uh, I mean, it was a 10-possession game with a minute to go in the fourth quarter. Uh, Let me just say this. Uh, Anytime the Pats get knocked down, everyone is tuned in. No one cares what the score is. It's it's considered a great game because it's an unexpected moment that that we see in football. And uh, props to... Miami Dolphins fans, I mean, I know this has not been a very good season for them, but to get a win like this on Monday Night Football, on good old Monday Night Football, uh, the the moments that, you know, we all live for, we, we want to see our teams play on those primetime stages, especially on Monday Night at home, always a fun moment, and for Dolphins fans, getting a Monday Night Football game, boy, uh, I, I, think, I think Dolphins fans partied into the uh, waning moments of Tuesday morning, so... Definitely enjoyed that over in Miami, I'm sure. But, man, anytime you see the Patriots go down, and not a great game from Tom Brady. Had those two picks very early. That helped set the tone in this football game. But, look, I mean, don't don't be down on the Pats. I know we were down on them earlier this year with the losses to the Chiefs and I believe to the Panthers as well. But they've come back fairly strong this year. And I think they're still going to be competing uh, to get to the Super Bowl and represent the AFC once again. One other thing I do want to talk about. Uh, do QBs make a major difference? Sure, you guys have all heard Carson Wentz done for the year with a torn ACL. Aaron Rodgers, uh, he will be returning this week after dealing with a shoulder injury. And a lot of Alex Smith defenders have said that a QB switch won't change everything. But really, is it? Look at these two teams, the Packers and the Eagles. The Packers went 4-1 and one before the Rodgers injury. Since then, they were 3-5. and five. Uh, they've won their last two, just squeezed out an overtime win over the Cleveland Browns. Now stand at seven and six on the season, but uh, just watch their offense is, is going to be far more watchable now that Aaron Rodgers is back. And listen, three and five without him—that—that's no accident. Let's take a look at the Eagles. They're without Carson Wentz. I know Nick Foles has a lot of familiarity with Doug Peterson in Philadelphia and here in Kansas City. But look, it is a backup quarterback. I think one good season that Foles had a few years ago is not going to be the same each season. So uh, this is um, this is going to be an interesting one to watch out for because I think at the end of the day, even though the Eagles have a lot of great weapons, it, maybe there's going to be some proof here that a quarterback could make all the difference in the world. The, hey, look at the Packers. They went from 4-1, and one, and then in their next eight games, they went 3-5. and five. And again, that's all without Aaron Rodgers. That's not a coincidence. That's no accident. Losing a a quarterback can make a difference here. So would that make a difference for the Chiefs? I know we've talked about this for a while. It's been a little quiet lately since Alex Smith has been playing a little bit better. But I think that's definitely a topic worth uh, looking into because people are still talking about the QB issues here in Kansas City. And people are wanting to see the Pat Mahomes era get underway. So figured I'd put that out there uh, for you guys to hear. And as always, let me know what you guys think on Facebook and Twitter about that. Time to go out of bounds. Oh boy, this is interesting. Ronda Rousey, you guys know my thoughts on her and not doing interviews with the MMA media. She is reportedly getting ready to leave the UFC and finalize a contract with WWE, which would put her in position to fight at WrestleMania. Let me just say this about Ronda Rousey, and I think Luke Thomas put it best uh, when he said this. Ronda, who, a former Olympian, competed in judo. When she was in MMA and having this undefeated run, it it was great, and... The glory she got was amazing. She got all these acting gigs that she was terrible at, but they gave it to her anyway because she was Ronda Rousey, the most dominant female athlete in the world and possibly was the most dominant athlete among men and women for quite some time. Winning the way she did in under a minute, even quicker than that in some of her fights. But when she loses to Holly Holm, when she got that vicious head kick, When Amanda Nunes demolished her in 48 seconds, Ronda did not want to face the media. The UFC did her a big favor in not letting her promote the fight and not have her do media 
the week of her fight, and the reason was because she has done tons of media in the past. Uh, sure, I mean, she clearly wants to avoid the subject of losing, and some of the acts that she had that she did uh, going off on other fighters who who congratulated Holly Holm. Let me just say this about Ronda Rousey, because we live in a world, and wait for the penalty fight segment, because this is going to get interesting. We live in a world where people want things both ways, but they can't. They just can't. Ronda loved all the glory and attention and all the gigs that she got when she was winning. Then when she was losing, she did not want to pay the tax on that. She did not want to face the media and talk about losing. We have seen a lot of fighters who have been knocked out and they still face the media. Or maybe not right away, but at least sometime during the week, they will talk about their loss with some MMA reporters. Ron has only spoken to late night uh, or, or talk show comedian hosts. Those aren't reporters. They're never going to ask the hard-hitting questions. So Ronda Rousey clearly dodging the MMA media because she can't face the fact, the truth, that she has been horrible lately and she was only willing to do that when she was winning. And right before her loss to Holly Holm, she berated Holly Holm on Instagram, calling her all sorts of horrible names, saying that she was going to kill her only for the complete opposite to end up happening. Uh, One other thing to talk about, this is just an unfortunate topic to discuss here. I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, four NFL players in deep, hot water uh, NFL Network has suspended its three analysts, Marshall Falk, Heath Evans, and Ike Taylor, after allegations of sexual harassment and assault from those three, plus another former NFL Network employee now with ESPN, uh, who is Donovan McNabb, and also NFL Network executive uh, also involved in this allegation. But the uh, woman who's making this claim, Jamie Cantor, who was a wardrobe stylist for 10 years, uh, not very good. Uh, and Eric Weinberger is the executive I was looking for. Uh, he's now the president of The Ringer, and he's been placed on indefinite leave by the company. Let me just say this, because I know this is happening quite a lot. I mean, there's a lot of these allegations that are coming out. Uh, I'll say this. Uh, I think we've got to wait for the truth. We've got to hear both sides on all of this. I'm sure all of these players, former players who are being accused of this, they're going to cooperate and answer all the questions they need to. Um, I do think it's unfortunate that people are waiting for a, a, a time like this where this becomes, I don't want to say trendy, but when one person's speaking out and another person speaks out and then a lot more speak out, that's when others are speaking out and making these claims. And uh, listen, uh, women are always afraid because they get these kinds of threats to not do so, and they're always in the dark hiding. I mean, this is a serious issue. And again, I'm not saying this woman is telling the truth. I, I think we've got a lot to look that needs to be looked into. But a lot of people, I mean, they're skeptical when they hear stories like this. And I can understand why. Uh, former athletes, a lot of money that they have. Uh, so sh- surely they, they could be going after an agenda. Who knows? At the end of the day, uh, there needs to be, of course, the, the due diligence that needs to be done in uh, looking investigating into all of this. Uh, because, boy, uh, this is a very unfortunate time that's happening in our country when we hear about these things quite a lot. So hopefully they can get to the bottom of this as well as several other allegations that are out there with so many other people out there. Uh, Not very good, but hopefully they can get to the bottom of this and figure out who's guilty and who's not. Final segment, I have only one flag to throw. It's a topic we discussed on the last podcast, and I've got a lot to say about it right now. All right, uh, we, we discussed this topic about a young boy named Keaton in Tennessee, a middle school student who was bullied, and the mom does what a lot of parents do nowadays, which is record their kids crying, because that's the thing to do in 2017. Uh, look, um, there are a, this story has taken a complete left turn. And I've got a lot of things to say about this. Uh, I don't know if I fall off time to get to all of it, but I'll try to get it in as quick as I can. Um, number one, this kid got a lot of outpouring support. The president of the UFC, Dana White, wants to bring him out to Vegas to hang out with him at the 
at the UFC headquarters. Um, some Tennessee volunteers and Tennessee Titan football players were willing to go visit him and hang out with him at the school to make him feel better and, and to kind of do it in front of the bullies. Uh, do I believe this kid's being bullied? Yes, absolutely. But um, I, I think we're kind of just like losing what's the point here. Like th- th- this kid is being bullied. Um, and I and I, I, I saw some sort of tweet where Captain America was inviting him to be on set to, to, to watch them film the next movie or whatever. Uh, look, he's he's already getting all these crazy opportunities that no other kid would get. So I think we can stop we can stop with the celebrities giving this kid love because there are a lot of kids out there. There are a lot of Keatons out there who are getting bullied, but they just they don't cry about it on camera. Now I will say the mother claims that he wanted this to be filmed. Okay, do I buy it? Uh, not really. She probably figured this could be some sort of an internet viral video, but I don't know. Uh, that's the claim she's making. Uh, I, I'm not, and I, I don't buy it to be honest with you. Uh, but but I do believe he's getting bullied. Don't get me wrong, and I think that needs something needs to be done about it. The school supposedly had an assembly the day, the first day back from the weekend, to talk about all of that with their students. Uh, the principal saying it's blown out of proportion. That I think is a lie. That's just PR right there. Um, here's where things got a little iffy. There was a GoFundMe account set up by, quote-unquote, the family, the mother. But the sister spoke out saying that this GoFundMe account, the creator, has no association with the family. They're posing to be members of the family. Uh, almost $60,000 has been raised for this kid. Listen, um, th- th- why does a bullied victim needs $60,000. Maybe, I, I, I don't know what you can do with $60,000 to stop bullying. Maybe, hey, look, uh, maybe it teaches the bullies a lesson that karma is a real thing and, and if you bully someone, good things will come to them and you're going to have to just watch and kind of hate yourself. I don't know. Um, look, kids say a lot of bad things. They really do. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't know what any amount of money will do to solve bullying at the school. Yeah, and sure, yeah, he'll go to the UFC headquarters or he'll go to all these places. Uh, Captain America, you go hang out with him on set, I don't know. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to go back to school and kids are going to continue to be kids. Even when schools talk about bullying, kids are going to continue to bully. So this issue is never going to go away. Uh, here's the other thing, and this kind of goes with the whole video thing. We're just at a time now where we have to film everything. Like, everything has to be filmed. Um, you know, I, and I'll admit, I'm guilty of sometimes taking a picture of food I have, if, it, if it's great and I feel the need to brag about it, or where I'm going, or what I'm doing on vacation. But I feel like there are some people who will... Like, I, I saw this on Thanksgiving. I, I saw people posting every hour of what they're doing. Like, I'm, I'm not going to post every hour. Like, I'm not going to post, uh, you know, I'm, I'm leaving work, and now I'm at the gym, and now I'm eating a cheeseburger, and now I'm watching college basketball. Like, I don't need to document my life every hour like a lot of people do with social media. And some people feel the need to put personal things like this out there. And I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Now, this family, unfortunately, it's been revealed by someone who has so much time on their hands that dug up through social media and found that they had a very a past photo of kids holding Confederate flags and guns and saying some basically making some racist comments. Uh, listen, let me just say this. I, I, I believe the kid's getting bullied and he doesn't deserve to be bullied. However, for the mother and the family, if you are going to seek sympathy... You can't expect it when you have some sort of a racist post from your past that will absolutely not fly, especially in this day and age in 2017 where we always talk about an instance where race is going on with a public figure. And these this family, they're now a public figure, and because of their racist post from the past, that is now the new discussion with this family. <laughs> and uh, look... Uh, Maybe she was just hoping that the local newspaper would have picked it up or a local TV station would have done something. But she got more than what she asked for, and it ended up being a bad thing for this family. You see that racist post, which, by the way, they've deleted. And 
a lot of the family members have made their uh, social media accounts super private. You can't even see what friends they have from what I've read. Uh, but man, uh, this is, uh, I mean, they have their teenage, uh, daughter, the sister of the, of the bullied victim who is answering questions on all of this. Um, this is, uh, this is just an example of, look, yes, the kid's being bullied. I believe that. But when you put yourself out there as hard as you can by crying on camera, it might end up being a bad thing. And the family's learning that the hard way. And now they've got to figure out how can they make up for all the backlash they're getting for the racist post and putting their kid on camera for crying. Because now there's speculation as to whether or not this kid, was he a bully? Was he, uh, you know, maybe he bullied someone and someone said something back big time in defense and he's crying for that, which is possible. I've seen that before in schools. Let's not act like we haven't seen any of that. Uh, but that's um, that's something that this family's got to face. And sure, the the uh, 50 minutes of fame was nice when they got invitations to go to UFC headquarters and movie sets and hang out with college and pro athletes. But then it comes with a consequence too when people discover their past. People do this with reality TV content. People people think they work for the CIA or the FBI where they want to dig up someone's past, find one one small thing that they did wrong. Or that they lied about and blow it, blow it up, all up. Uh, it, it's just crazy how, how much time some people have on their hands. Let's hope the Chiefs can come away with a win. Then we'll have some time on our hands on Sunday, watching other NFL teams go at it. Chiefs and Chargers go at it this weekend. I'm predicting a 13 to 10 win this Saturday night for the Chiefs. A reminder, I'll be on Facebook Live at halftime and after the game, so check me out on Facebook.com slash Farzine Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and also follow me, or email me rather, Farzine at FarzineVesugia.com. One favor I do want to ask, and I posted this on Facebook and I don't want to mention here on the podcast, my uncle, his name is JC Gregg, is competing on a baking show. It's from the British spinoff of the Great American Baking Show. Uh, he had a very good episode last week. He's going to be competing again for a couple of... He'll be on for, for quite a while, trust me. Uh, but he is going to be on ABC Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. So check him out. If you can support him, he's a big cheese fan. He's a Kansas City native, and he makes some damn good desserts. So check him out. If you guys can support my Uncle Jay, give him some love on social media. I'll remind you guys on Facebook. So if you guys... You guys really... Pre- I really appreciate the support you guys gave. I normally don't post personal stuff on Facebook. Uh, but when I did do that, you guys showed some love, and I really appreciate that. And I'll be doing that while he's on the show, which is going to end fairly soon. So, And look, we'll still be talking Chiefs and whatnot, so don't, don't get too carried away there. Uh, but listen, I, I really do appreciate you guys for showing some support for him. And uh, if you guys get a chance, please watch The Great American Baking Show Thursdays, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. And support fellow Chiefs fan Uncle Jay, J.C. Gregg on the Great American Baking Show. That'll do it for this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast. I'm Farzee Vasugi. Subscribe to the podcast. Share it on social media with your friends. Until then, I'll talk to you guys on Facebook Saturday night and the podcast, the recap podcast, will be out Sunday morning. Take care.